word. We're going to be reading again in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. The Bible says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Uh, Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to Lord and pray. Father, who's in heaven, we, we, we thank you for who you are. Lord, you are the God who has created all things, so we declare you worthy. Lord, we thank you that we get to come into this place and worship you as our creator. We are grateful that you are also our redeemer in Christ Jesus. So we cry with the saints of old and the saints that are gathering around this world today to say, worthy is the name of Christ. Because of his great redeeming work to purchase for you, God, a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Among whom now you've chosen, you've saved, you've redeemed, and you are continually sanctifying us, Lord Jesus, making us more like your son. And as believer priests, now we come and we ask you with the burnt offering of our sacrifice and our praise and our thanks, we petition you that you would, Father, send the help of your Holy Spirit to enable uh, your servant to speak as it were the utterances of God from your revelation to us made in Scripture. We pray, Father, that you might get glory, that your people might be edified and encouraged that the gospel would do its saving and sanctifying work in our hearts as we devote this time to you. We ask your mercy, your blessing, your power, and your grace through your truth that comes to us. And it's in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as I said, we're starting our theme for the year, which is grow. We're asking the question, what does biblical growth look like for a healthy church? We're going to start by looking, just like we did with worship, how we're charged to grow up, to grow towards the Lord. Now, 
there are, are many ways we, go, we grow towards Christ in our sanctification, in our spiritual growth. But I want us to think about this and growth in three facets throughout this year. I want us to think about how we grow up towards the Lord by learning God's truth. How we grow in together as his church through loving relationships. And how we grow out as his church by making disciples that multiply to the ends of the earth. And so there's going to be three series right there sprinkled throughout the year and different parts of the year to bring us back to this continual exercise, this continual thought process of how we grow to be a healthy church. What does that growth look like? And so today in January, we're starting by learning how we grow up. And the way we grow up, I think primarily is by learning God's truth. And not just learning God's truth, though, but living God's truth. And so I want us to think about what God tells us in terms of our spiritual growth about learning and living God's truth. So you have an outline there in your bulletin. I hope you follow it. It's got three points in there. And here's our first, since it's all about the Bible today. I want us to look at the necessity of the Bible. The necessity of the Bible. We need the Bible. We are in desperate need of God's word continually. You know that? You, you think about this. Have you ever uh, gone through, I don't know if you ever, every time I'm on a plane and they walk through the scenario of uh, putting on your life vest in case of a, a plane crash and such, I automatically, inspired probably by the television show Lost, look around me and think who would be who on the desert island, right? What do I have in my carry-on luggage that I absolutely need to survive, right? What would I have that I would be able to maintain? And, and I wonder, does the Bible ever come across your mind when you think of basic needs of human life as a primary source of need? Have you ever thought about the Bible when it comes to the basic needs, the day-to-day -day life, what you need to survive as being primary in that means? That's what we're examining today, how and why we need the Bible. Well, I want us to uh, look at several different facets of this. We must have the Bible, and, and the reason for that is so that we can even know God. We, we need the Bible to, first of all, inform us of the object of worship. We need the Bible to inform us of the object of worship. We would not know who to worship if it weren't for the Bible. And I know you probably know this in terms of speaking of general revelation and special revelation, uh, but there is this thing called general revelation that we read about in places like Psalm 19 verse 1 where it says the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. So the Bible says that we've got the fingerprints of God all over creation. And, and Paul takes that concept in Romans 1 and says that really everybody knows God in some way through general revelation, through things like creation. They, they were made in his image. They live in his world. They live in his environment and atmosphere. They live in the atmosphere of God. We live, move, and have our being in him, Paul says. So through creation, everybody knows God, but Paul is quick to add that because of the fall, because of our sin, because of the corruption of human nature, when that general revelation comes to people throughout the world, the natural inclination of man is to take that revelation and hold it down suppress it, to suppress it in unrighteousness. 
So everybody gets the light of the 40-watt light bulb through general revelation. But all that does, Paul says, is leave people without excuse. On judgment day, no one will be able to say to God, God, if I had only known that you existed. Because in that moment, he's going to say, you did know. But what did you do with the 40 watt of knowledge that I gave you through my general revelation? See, church family, people aren't condemned to hell for what they don't know. They're condemned to hell for what they do know and what they do with what they know. Which, as the Bible says, is to hold it down in unrighteousness if they do not have Christ. Thanks be to God, by the way, that he doesn't just give us general revelation. Or you and I, we would all be condemned. It's not enough to know that there is a God. We must know this God. And the way that we know this God personally is through special revelation. It's through this special revelation that the the grace of the truth of God comes into the hearts of his people to save and sanctify them. Uh, The chief means of God's special revelation is the Bible. It's the Bible. It's God's word. We also talk about prayer being a means of grace, and that is true. Uh, But the Bible is how God communicates to his people. Prayer, then, is how we respond back to God on the basis of what he has said to us in his word. So in prayer, we bring our praise and petitions up to him, but they are all must be based on the truth of Scripture, I want you to see that everything we do is Bible dependent. Because not only does it inform us of the object of our worship, because how do we know the God whom we're supposed to worship, but we need the Bible to inform us how it is that we worship. The Bible is there, and the necessity of the Bible is there, secondly, for us to inform us exactly how we worship. Uh, If you think about it, we know that this God is a trinity through what the Bible teaches. There is no other world religion that believes in the Trinity, that God is both one and three, that he is both unity and diversity in his very being. But the reason that we know this is because he reveals it to us specially in his word. So the very worship of God that is acceptable to him, it must be dependent on the Bible. Because if you're worshiping some other God, then you are worshiping a false God. The the true and living God is one and three. Any other God is no God. So, So it's by the grace of what we call special revelation from the scriptures that we understand these things, understand things like the Trinity. We understand the object of our worship, the very way we worship to be acceptable to God. It's all dependent upon him revealing to us in a special way his truth. So we need the Bible to inform our praise and our worship. The first commandment says, don't have any other object to worship other than me, right? No other gods in my presence, but then the second commandment and on is how to worship me. He lets us know that not only does he want to be the exclusive object of our worship, but God tells us exactly how he wants to be worshiped. It is through God's word that we understand how this one God who exists in three persons desires to be worshipped. He gives us those principles by which we're to come and worship him acceptably. 
So not only do we need God's word to inform us of the object of our worship, not only do we need God's word uh, to inform us how to worship, but we need the Bible to inform even things like how we pray. Do you ever see your prayer life and God's word as interconnected in any way, shape, or form? We ought to. Think about this in our prayers. Do you know what the Bible says is one of the necessities to having our prayers answered? The Bible is clear. We must, as people of prayer, pray according to God's will. So so let's just even use the rationale of our mind. How are you going to know God's will? Well, he gives us his will clearly in the pages of scriptures. So, so the scriptures are not only there to inform our praise and worship, but our prayers to him. That's why I always say, by the way, if you're one like me who had struggled many, many years with your prayer life, pray the scriptures. As you're reading God's word, pray those things he reveals to you back to him. It's, a, it's our communication with him. Pray the scriptures and the Bible informs us on how we pray. Well, then what about love? We need the Bible to also inform how we love. Love is also dependent upon God's word as well, right? Even in common grace, people realize they need to love one another, right? But how are we to do that? Well, in God's word, he gives us the direction on how we are to love one another. We're to love one another according to his commandments. I want you to remember this. The law is the eye of love, And love is the soul of the law. What do I mean by that? The law is the eye of love, and love is the soul of the law. Well, just like the body without the soul is dead, so law without love is dead. Right? So if you're just giving someone love, giving someone command, or giving someone law, giving someone commands, but there is no love in it, what you begin to be is a Pharisee, and you begin... To, to practice things that are dead and have no power in them. Not, the law is also the eye of love, meaning that, that love without law is blind. And, and so if you're giving someone just love, but you're not speaking also the truth of God's word in that love, then your love is actually misdirected and is often blind. You can't see how to function properly. So, so once again, we need the Bible. We need God's law. That's why this component of growing up is learning God's truth. So I want to I stop there. Those are four quick things right now, but I want to focus on kind of this fifth thing because it's, it's kind of essential the, the, the to our sermon here. And I want to ask this question. Where is the place you go in God's word to find out about God's word? Well, the classical place is 2 Timothy 3. And so what does it say? Well, I think 2 Timothy 3 points out a whole bunch of things to us, but one of those things is that we need the Bible to inform our personal growth and grace. And this is what we want to do. If you are truly a Christian, you ought to have some desire in your life to grow as a Christian. Well, we can say certain things about the Bible. In fact, we can say this about the Bible in one sense. The Bible is like in a sense, any and every other book. What do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's got ideas that are expressed in words that are developed into sentences that develop those ideas. So when you read the Bible, you read it in a sense like any other book, right? 
letters into words, words into sentences, left to right, top to bottom, unless you're Hebrew, then you read it backwards. You read the Bible like any other book. You use your human rationale. You use word studies. You consider the context in which things are communicated. So in that sense, the Bible is like other books. But we would make a huge mistake if that's all we would say about the Bible. Because of course, the Bible in another way is like no other human book in existence. No other book in any human existence. And it's because of what the Bible says right here in 2 Timothy 3.16, that we know that. In fact, if you've been here any of the last, I don't know, 30 Wednesday nights, and you studied uh, a peculiar glory with us, you would know that the Bible was unlike any other book. But I want you to look at me, verse 16, about what Paul writes to Timothy when he says this. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. This is what makes the Bible unique from every other piece of written literature. This book, in a special way, was inspired by God. I, I've used this before, but there are several things that inspire me, right? I want to uh, see a, a particular movie, Rocky, by the way, one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think at my age, I could still be a boxer, even just seeing that movie, because it inspires me, right? It's an underdog story, and who better to be an underdog, right? Um, that's not the term by which this word inspired is used in any way, shape, or form. We don't mean inspired like a common vernacular here, like this was an inspired poet or inspired artist who saw a tremendous horizon and painted this wonderful picture. This is a technical phrase. And the word literally in the Greek is God breathed. Think about that. God breathed out the word of God. Interestingly enough, the Greek and the Hebrew, the same word for breath is also used of spirit. Because it is by this spirit that God breathes the true revelation of himself. There is a companion passage here that often is used when we think about this process of inspiration. Maybe you know it. It, it comes from 2 Peter 1, 21. The second part of this verse in 2 Peter 1, it says this. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It was men who spoke and wrote, but whom were they speaking? From whom were they speaking? Well, the Bible's clear. They were speaking from God. How was it then that God was speaking through these men? Because these men were moved by the Holy Spirit. That word is the same word that is used of wind. It's used of wind that would catch the sails of a ship and move it forward. That is the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. What they wrote or spoke were actually the utterances of God coming through them. And so I want you to see this. This is a marvelous, mysterious, miraculous work of God. That God would use finite, fallen, fallible human agents to bring the inspired, infallible scriptures. And then to place it in our hands so that we would understand it. My friends, what this means is, by implication, is that you and I ought to have a great, great reverence for the Bible. I mean, what a privilege that we even have it. It's so accessible to us. We often just take this for granted that we have Bibles. I bet each home here represented has multiple copies of God's word in your house. You realize that in the, the history of God's people, that is an unthinkable luxury? 
That we would have the Bible in such convenient form? It used to be that not many people had any part of the Bible because it was really difficult to get it written down. It was expensive. So most people didn't have fragments of the Bible. We have the whole Bible. And so, so here is the searching question that I ask myself. Do I really value this book in accordance to what it is? Do I really realize that in this book, I have the almighty, infinite, eternal, compassionate, gracious, loving, merciful God who is actually speaking to me as I read it? And let me tell you something, as a pastor, it's discouraging because the way a lot of worship services are set up is they try to hide the Bible in the midst of it. So, so what we want to do is we want to have, we want to have lots and lots of, of, of songs because that's an easy way to get people some, some of God's word. Uh, we want to have a, a, some, some videos, some, some really relevant things that people can get used to and see. But what we want is we want 20-minute bread and butter sermons so that people don't get overwhelmed with God's word. And it just breaks my heart because it shows that we don't really value this for what it is. This is your only hope, folks. I, my job as a pastor is to give you as much of what you need as I possibly can. And what you need is God's word. And you need it over and over and over and over again. You need it continually. So I, I got a New Year's resolution in 2020 for our church. It's going to be this. Preach the word. Preach it again. If you get tired, if you think you're hearing the same thing, guess what? You need to hear it over and over again. It is God's word and it is our only hope. And, and Lord, help us by God's grace. We will not stand back and watch this culture surround us as a church and implicate itself to say we need less of God's word. People can't handle it. We, we, we need to get there on their level. So what we need is Bible stories that are just relevant to what they're going on. No, friends, you need God's word. And you need it preached faithfully. And you need it day in, day out. And guess what? You don't just need it on Sunday. You don't just need it on Sunday at 10.15. You need it Sunday at 9 a.m., <laughs> You need it on Wednesday nights. You need it Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Your kids need it every day. We as a culture have to understand that we are in desperate need of God's word. This is not uh, that, uh, just a, a random book that has no meaning. It is his word. And just as he spoke back then, it's the marvel of this book that when we read it, he is speaking to us existentially now. I mean, just imagine, friends. Imagine being able to read a love letter from the God of the universe anytime you wanted to. This is what the Bible is. It's God's love letter of grace and truth and righteousness that he has communicated to us. So you can see with me, this should be something that's very high on the list on our priorities, to be regularly exposing ourselves to. And we should ask ourselves, friends, if, if I really don't get around to reading the Bible very much, what does that say about me? What do you think it would say about us? How regular are we hearing from him in the pages of his scriptures? 
Is there a heart hunger for, for God for us to be in communion with him continually? Really what this says is, God, give me the grace. Give me the grace that my love for you would be a passionate love. It would be an affectionate love. It would be a hungry love for you. That I would have hunger of heart to hear what you have to say to me. And that's a benefit, friends, because we are sinners. Our, our hearts are not where we ought to be. We love too much the things of this world, and we don't have enough love for God who has made the world. We need grace that comes through truth to convict us, to ask God, give us a greater hunger for you that motivates me to be more faithful when I read the Bible. Yet we are granted grace to understand this word by the Holy Spirit. It's the work he does for our spiritual growth. So why the psalmist can pray in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Let me be a seer, a hearer, as I read your word, that I hear what you're saying to me and correctly grasp hold of it. Not so I just have information in my brain, but so now the truth is gripping my heart with your grace and for your glory. So the book is necessity for our own personal growth and grace. But I want you to see also that it's necessary for the Great Commission. We need the Bible in order to be able to share the Bible. We need the Bible in order to be able to teach the Bible. We need the Bible in order to be able to communicate the Great Commission. You remember what Jesus said? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Part and parcel, by the way, with making disciples is the Bible. Where do we get what God, through Jesus, is telling us? We have to teach the Bible. It's one of the weaknesses of the evangelical church. We aren't taking seriously helping people understand the Bible. And so there's one level, yes, where we need to give the Bible over and over again, but we also need to do the work of disciple makers to help one another understand the Bible. Now, sometimes there's a huge emphasis on, on making worship so comfortable and convenient. We don't want to stretch them or make them feel guilty. But the result is we aren't telling people how Jesus longs for them to think or to live. Church, can I ask you, how are you going to make disciples if you aren't giving people the truth of God's word? I got the answer. You won't. So to be a healthy church, you have to have healthy Christians. And part of being healthy Christians is to have a healthy truth of God's word. In fact, Paul, when he writes these pastoral epistles, he talks about the importance of sound doctrine, sound teaching. The, the word sound there, it could be translated healthy. It's the word actually from which we, which we get the word hygiene. Do you know why you practice good hygiene? L listen up, teenagers, by the way. Uh, so you can stay healthy. Not even some teenagers. Uh, but listen. You practice good hygiene so you can be healthy. Guys, we will never be a healthy church if we have no interest in sound doctrine. Amen. Ever. So the Bible here is, is only not only necessary, but secondly, our second point here is we want to examine the utility of the Bible. What is the Bible useful for? What is it profitable for 
us as Christians to examine. Well, this is passage is very famous for going on to teach uh, that very thing. Four things the Bible is profitable and useful for. Um, so let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 again. Something I, I guarantee I, many in this room know, but it's such a wonderful verse. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I believe it was Jay Adams who outlined this out. I couldn't find it this week, but I found it helpful in what's communicated here that we would think about the Bible as giving us a path. Uh, the Bible does that. It gives us a path. It gives us a path of salvation, the path of righteousness. And so let's examine those things now. The Bible gives us the path of salvation. Paul's already talked about this in, in terms of Timothy. Think about uh, what he says starting in verse 14. In, in contrast to all the evil men and imposters he talks about in verse 13, look what he says in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them. He says, you are aware from whom this knowledge came. The truth that you learned. You learned the truth and you became convinced of it. It wasn't just you, you got information. Now you embrace the information. Now he says, what you do is you continue. Knowing from who you learned it, you continue in it. Now whom he learned it, he's probably talking about Timothy's mother and grandmother because the next thing he says is from childhood. And that word literally is from infancy, from your youngest, tenderest years. Look what it says at verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3. And that from childhood, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. I want you to, that's a, a wonderful thing, and it's an implication. You teach your children the word of God. I've just got something that's just, God's so merciful. And you guys know, I talk about my family, I can't help but to get emotional because I don't know how to filter those emotions and I love them so much. And so I can't, but anyways. Uh, so we've been getting my daughter Addie to sleep and, and it's just been a, a difficult time. She's three and a half. She still struggles to sleep in her bed by herself. And I'm weak. Let me just say that. I'm, I'm okay with you judging me right now that that's the case, but I'm weak. And I just keep envisioning the day uh, when she's a teenager and she no longer wants me to be near her. Um, so I, I stay in the room with her while she falls asleep. And I'm so thankful I do uh, because there's some of the most precious moments in life I get in those times. And one of those moments is something that's been happening over the last three months that we're praising God for. And I think it's exhibited here in verse 15 is that when we lay down and I'm sitting there in her room and I'm, I'm singing through all the Frozen 2 soundtrack that I know. Uh, and I'm not ashamed of it because I love her and she loves that soundtrack. And she's the only person who wants to hear daddy sing. So I, I would just love to, to sing that to her. There'll just be times in the middle of it where no matter what she's done that day, she will stop before she goes to bed and she will say, Daddy, I, I'm sorry that I was mean to you today. Daddy, I'm, I'm sorry that I disobeyed. Daddy, I, I'm sorry I, I hit my brother today. It doesn't matter what it is. Every night she is coming up with these things, not pressed, not charged on her own. And so there are times where I'm maybe arguing with her mother, having a difficult day, I've got unforgiveness in my heart, and I look and see the, these principles we've taught this little girl that she even grasps the idea that before she lays her head down at night to go to sleep, she ought to not have unforgiveness in her heart. And, and look, as a married couple, I can learn from my three-year-old, right? 
And I'm so thankful for that. And, and last night, I'd, I'd had a little bit of an attitude with her, and I wasn't as kind as I could have been. And, and I sat down, and I said, well, you know what, Addie? Daddy's sorry. Dad, Daddy's sorry for how he responded to you. And she said, I'm sorry I was mean to you. And then she always asked, Daddy, do you forgive me? And I said, of course. And I just, I, I'm so thankful and grateful to think about the day where we're praying that the gospel clicks in her mind. And she would know these wonderful principles from God's word to such a degree that God would use it to have her understand that she's a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness and repentance. And so this is why we do what we do here with our children. This is why we can't encourage you enough to take 10 minutes out of your day to teach your children God's word because it will not return void. He will use it in mighty ways even from the mouth of babes to teach you what it looks like to have a childlike faith. That's one of the things I love about being a pastor. It's because primarily my day is spent in God's word and I cannot go to God's word and correctly interpret God's word without getting things right in my life, whether it's with my wife, or my family, or somebody else. God won't speak to me. Justin can testify. When I'm having a difficult day and I struggle with the word of God, I've got to go repent. I have to. Or you wouldn't have a sermon, and maybe you'd probably prefer that on Sunday morning. But uh, regardless, that's the case. And so I, I love these beautiful truths we get in Scripture that, that we teach our kids the path of salvation, and God's not going to waste that. He doesn't waste it. In fact, what could be more valuable to our children than that? So God gives us special revelation so that we can come to know Christ by faith. The sacred writings give the wisdom salvation through faith in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. It's a remarkable thing. Remember, he's talking about the sacred writings. That's the Old Testament. He says that the Old Testament is sufficient even to give you salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus fills it. <laughs> he fills the Old Testament. When rightly understood, it bears witness. You remember when Jesus said that in John 5? He said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is these that testify about me. This is the path of salvation, eternal life. Christ himself. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The Bible is what gives us Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament. He reveals himself in a saving grace, which then we receive when we embrace him by faith in his person and his work. But then having come to faith in Jesus, we also need to know how to live for Jesus. So the Bible calls sanctification. It's the path of righteousness. The Bible gives us the path of righteousness. Becoming more like Christ day in and day out over time. The Bible tells us not only how to be saved, but it also tells us how to live our love out for God by grace throughout our day-to-day -day lives. Giving us that instruction and doctrine, we need to be healthy Christians. So quickly through verse 16 now, this is how it does. Teaching is the first thing. What does teaching do? We've kind of already talked about it. Teaching gives us the path. It gives us the path of salvation. It gives us the path of righteousness. As we continue to teach, the information is given for what it looks like to walk in the path of salvation, what it looks like to walk on the path of righteousness. He goes on, says that the Bible is not only useful, profitable for doctrine or instruction, teaching, but of course it's profitable for reproof. Reproof lets us know when we're off path. That's what the Bible does, doesn't it? When you're reading and all of a sudden you get a pang of conscience because you realize the Bible is telling you something that you are not doing or the Bible is telling you to not do something that you are currently doing, this is reproof. 
It's like when you tell your child to go pick up their toys in the living room and they walk to the bedroom to start playing with their toys, the one you just cleaned, <laughs> and then you start saying, no, wait, 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 no. I, I want you to stop going on that path and I want you to go to this path towards the living room to pick up your toys. Stop that, go to there. It's reproving you. It's letting you know that you're off path. And let me tell you, one, one of the things we need to do when we read the Bible is be open to God telling us that we are off path. You need to be embracing. Uh, how do I understand what this says? What does it mean for me? What are sins I can put to death in this? Am I embodying what the Bible is teaching me in this truth? Am I doing things I should not be doing? We're, we're not just talking about behaviors either. Most of it's attitudes. Are my attitudes what they ought to be? Or am I not doing things I should be doing? The Bible comes to reprove us, just like parents reprove their children. It's not to say it's just because they want to catch them doing things wrong. It's so they can correct them for being wrong, which is the third thing. The Bible corrects us. Correction enables us to be straightened out and put on path. That's what correction actually means. It means to straighten things out. Because you and I are crooked. We're off path. We're off course. We're off track. The Bible comes to reprove us and tell us how we can now be back on the path of righteousness. It brings God's direction for correction. Of course, we know that this is through repentance. God uses repentance here, returning to God. It's through acknowledging, confessing our sins, and receiving his forgiveness. It's through reconciliation when things are wrong between family members and the body of Christ. So the Bible teaches, it gives the path, it reproves, lets us know when we're off path. It corrects and enables to live, be straightened out, and put back on path. And then the last thing is it trains us in righteousness. It's training. Training is learning by his grace to stay on path. It's the same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul tells fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It refers to child training. This is how God trains us as his children. Because often it's what we do. We go through this cycle. We're getting off path and then corrected back on path and then off and then back on. Friends, wouldn't it be better if we learned by his grace and power and the Holy Spirit how to stay on path? It's what the Bible does for us. It's what the Word of God is here to do. Sometimes that means the discovery of the idols of our hearts that are leading us off path again. There are things that become more important to us than Jesus. So we're led off path. So the, so the Bible is here to help us discover how we can mortify the idols before they lead us off path. This way our, our lives are progressively becoming more and more like Jesus. So the Bible is useful for you. This is not a waste of time. It's not only what you need, it's useful. Finally, the last thing I want to say in this message very briefly is about the sufficiency of the Bible. The Bible is all we need. Amen. Do you believe that? The Bible is all we need. Because I want you to see what Paul goes on to talk about. What the Bible is and how the Bible is in verse 17. He says, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that the Bible is the only book you need to read, okay? Uh, obviously, the Bible won't teach you chemistry and physics, but the Bible does address itself to everything we need to know in terms of a holy life of worship, faith, love, and obedience to God. 
It addresses every topic, at least in a general and principled way. So the Bible is not only necessary, but it's efficient. For us to know and to do the will of God. For us to receive it. But not only learn it, but also live it. That's why we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we will just be forgetful hearers and not effectual doers. I want to close real quick with what Jesus says in two passages. I want to warn you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Once again, where are you going to find the will of the Father? It's in the Bible. So his grace then is there to enable us to do the will of the Father. Then what Brother Judd read from Psalm 1, I love this. Psalm 1 is the gateway into the Psalter. It's a wisdom poem. And he says, uh, the psalmist says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But what? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That means, listen, he is regularly going to the word of the Lord. Why? Because he delights in it. Why does he delight in it? Because he delights in the Lord of the word. And what we need as a church, what we're going to pray for in our invitation as a church, is that we would have hearts that delight in the Lord of the word and then he will cause us to delight in the word of the Lord. Uh, that's a wonderful thing to think about. That we would have hearts that delight in the Lord of the word and we'll delight then in the word of the Lord. Only then the Holy Spirit can get us. So yes, we want to grow as a church. We want to be more faithful as a church, more loving as a church. But to be healthy in our love, we need to be a church that takes more seriously God's word and to delight in it. To use it as a touchstone for our thinking, our speaking, our acting in our day-to-day -day lives. Knowing there's forgiveness through Christ who has paid it all. But what he wants then is not for us just to seek pardons from him, but also power in the struggle against sin, which also comes through grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The word is here to be the means of that grace. Not just for information, but to affect us in transformation. To make us better disciples so we can make better disciples of others. Church, may the gracious work of the Holy Spirit not just reprove us so that we feel guilty this morning, but correct us and train us in the paths of righteousness for the glory of God and his kingdom on earth. Will you join me this year in praying simply that we would delight more in the Lord so we would delight more in his word? That's our charge. That's how we grow in church. It's easy for us to say, we preach, we preach expositionally, word by word through the gospel of John. We've been doing it for two, three years. We are a church that's centered on the word. Let me ask you, just personally, you have any room for growth in your love for the Lord, in your love for his word? <laughs> Boy, that, that shook me this week. It's easy for me to say, oh, I read the Bible every day. I study God's scripture every day. Yeah, but how much of it is for sermon prep, Cody? And how much of it is because you delight in the Lord of the word? So, so I, need, I need help here. I'm praying this with you. 
I pray we'd all pray this together, that we would delight in the Lord of the word so he would cause us to delight more in the word of the Lord. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Father, what can we say? We are just given this gift of inestimable value and this your word that you communicate to us. Father, I, I admit that, that I just struggle with feeling ashamed that I don't make better use of this book. So I, I pray for myself and any of us who is not where we ought to be in terms of union and communion with you. Lord, we, just, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would give us a greater heart hunger and desire for you, and therefore, because we have a desire for you, you give us a desire more for your word. That you'd cause our hearts to be lifted up for desiring to lighten you so that we would want to hear what you have to say to us. We pray that you give us the help of your Holy Spirit so that we won't just be forgetful hearers but effectual doers. We would be a people that takes seriously the word of life for our daily lives. So Father, do your gracious work of saving and sanctifying through your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the Savior that they reveal to us. Now open the eyes of our hearts that we may see him, that you may reveal him to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.